Hey everyone, welcome to 17 Shards' exclusive interview with Brandon Sanderson. I'm Eric, this is Josh and Michelle. Just a note, it's mostly spoiler-free, but at the end there are some Mistborn questions, so just turn it off before then. For the most part, it's just general stuff about the Way of Kings. We're all very excited for this, so let's get right to it. Okay, the first question is, why did you change the main character's name to Kaladin in the final draft? Excellent question. Um, I see you're stealing all of my um, annotation questions that I would ask myself. Um, for those who don't know, um, the character's original name was Marin, um, which um, it was a very hard decision to change because the history of Wave Kings goes back so far. Um, and Marin is a character, you know, I started writing about and, and working on in, in the year 2000, so it, he'd been around for almost a decade in my head as who he was. And a couple of things sparked the change. Number one, I had never really been pleased with the name, um, though I had been doggedly attached to it, despite the fact all my alpha readers on the original um, Wave Kings, Wave Kings Prime, we'll call it now, said, this sounds like a girl's name. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, sometimes in different cultures, names sound like um, like girls' names. Um, I recently discovered that um, Bilbo and Frodo, actual names are Bilba and Froda. Those are their actual names. That's what they say in world and in the appendices. Tolkien, one of his appendices, said, I Englishized them to make them sound more masculine for the translation, quote-unquote, of the um, Lord of the Rings books. But they would actually call themselves Bilba and Frit. Um, Froda. Um, so anyway, um, Marin sounded a little bit feminine, um, and so I, you know, but I, I still dug my heels in, and then I wrote the new Wave Kings, and one of the concepts for the new Wave Kings, when, when you read it, you can see um, Kaladin's arc as a character. In Wave Kings Prime, he makes a decision very early in the book, and in the Way of Kings, I wanted to have him make the opposite decision. There's a big decision that comes to him. And it's almost like these two books are branching paths from that moment in a lot of ways. Um, and so it, it's going to be a very interesting process when I eventually will let people read Way of Kings Prime, which I won't right now because it has uh, spoilers for the rest of the series. Um, but you can see how all the characters go in kind of different directions from um, that moment, and they all also change slightly. It's like an alternate world version of the book you're reading. Um, anyway, he was such a different character that point number two was that I started to feel he's changed so much as a person I can no longer think of him as the same character. Um, and then point number three was I am working on the Wheel of Time, time now, and um, having a character whose name sounded a lot like Parent wasn't a problem when I was not an, the author of the Wheel of Time, and when I was the w author of the Wheel of Time, having a character whose name sounded a lot like Parent, that, that started to be a problem um, to me, particularly since in the Way of Kings Prime, Marin was not the main character, but in this Way of Kings, he is. Um, in Way of Kings Prime, it was much more evenly divided between, um, and, and in this one, he's essentially double what the other characters are. So he becomes the, the main character of this book, and I felt I wanted the main character of this book to have a much, more, much stronger, perhaps a little more mythic name, um, and I tried lots and lots of tries until I eventually came, settled on Kaladin. Kaladin does sound much more powerful. Yeah, it's, it's a much better name. I'm, I'm very happy to do it, but we changed it on like the last draft, like you said. So It was very surprising to my editor and uh, my writing group when all of a sudden he changed to a different name. We know it's not your job to pick cover artists, of course, but any idea if Michael Whelan will make additional Stormlight Archive covers, or will, different, will it be different 
different artists each time? Um, another good question that I don't, this one I don't quite know the answer to. The thing is, um, Waylon is so busy and um, does so few covers that it'll come down to whether he has the time and is willing to. Um, we would certainly like him to do more. And I've heard, you know, news around tour that they're optimistic for him doing um, the rest of the series. But, um, you know, like I said, it's. I felt like it was incredibly fortunate that we got him to do one. Um, and you'll notice some of his, even some of his favorite authors, he doesn't do the whole series anymore, like, um, you know, Tad Williams' latest one. He did the first cover, and then they had someone else do the other covers, uh, and I don't know the details of that, but I suspect it has something to do with the fact that Michael Allen just, you know, he, he likes to do his fine art, um, and as a favor to people, he'll do the occasional um, brilliant, beautiful cover, but then he wants to go back, and I can't blame him for that and work on the projects he wants to. So, we'll see what happens um, when the second book uh, is ready for a cover. What's it feel like to have your baby finally released to the public? It's it's probably a very different feeling from any of your other book launches. Are yeah. you more nervous than usual, or have the positive uh, ARC comments made you feel fairly confident? Um, I'm more nervous than no normal. Number one, because it has been my baby for a long time, and the the fact that I got Tor to invest so much into it um, with the cover and the interior art and the end pages and the, the really nice printing and the sheer length of it um, is, a, is the length of a book that, um, that the tour would really rather not publish. Um, and the rest of the series will be shorter, and I promise that to them. I do want to warn the readers, um, each of the other books will be, the, the, the 400,000 word length is not going to be the standard for the series. Um, I'm, they're probably going to be more like 300,000 words, which is what this one should have been, If I, but I just couldn't get it down. Um, it, it was right for the book for it to be this length. Um, I'm worried about it for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is a departure for me in a couple of ways. Um, you know, I've been planning a big, massive epic for a long time, but because of that, I only wanted to have, you know, one or two big, massive epics in my, in, in, in essentially the, um, the, the Adonalsi mythos. I couldn't, it couldn't support multiples of something this long, and so a lot of my other books I approach much more, um, fast-paced and things like that, um, and I do know, wonder what readers are going to think of a much larger, more epic story, um, because it is, it is going to have a different feel. It's happened every time I've released a book, though. You know, Warbreaker felt very different from Mistborn, which felt very different from, um, Elantris, and Wave Kings feels very different from all of those as well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm worried. I don't know that, um, I, I think there are a lot of readers who are not going to like it as much. I hope there are a lot of readers that are going to like it more, um, and, but we'll have to just see what people think of it. On later Stormlight Archive novels, will there always be one character where we get to see flashbacks from? Yes. Um, and it should rotate different characters. Um, I keep, I have not yet decided who gets book two yet. Um, um, it's, it's an argument, it's, it's, it's really between Dalinar and, and Shallan, and I can't, I go back and forth, um, whose story I want to, to tell next. So, does that mean there's going to be ten different characters that will be seen? Um, it's very likely there will be ten different characters. I mean, I have... The, the thing is, the, um, the only caveat on that is that um, part of me really wants to do a second Kaladin book. Um, and and so, you know, um, I, you know I, I haven't quite decided who's, who gets flashback books. You can probably guess from reading this book, some of them who do. Um, but there are some that don't necessarily absolutely need them. Um, and so Kaladin may get a second um, flashback book. Um, Zeth will get a book. Yes. <laughs> We're all cheering if you yeah. can't hear that through the microphone. Yes. Um, Zeth will get a book. Um, Shalon and Dalinar will get books. Um, and that's... What's that? 
Um, I'm not sure on him yet. He's one that could, and maybe not. I mean, he's got some interesting stuff going on, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see how the, the series progresses first. Um, you know, and there are characters who will get flashback books that, that you haven't yet met, or at least not spent much time with. You've told us that you took the idea of the Shattered Plains from Dragonsteel into mm-hmm. The Way of Kings, and reading Way of Kings, it's hard to imagine the book without them. Mm-hmm. What did Roshar look like without them, and can you walk us through the process of moving that concept from one series to this one? Yeah, um, it looked pretty much like it looks in the books, um, but Way of Kings Prime takes place mostly in Kolinar, um, and, um, and in a location that has not yet, um, been, um, talked about, or talked about in the books. It took place in another location about that. Um, and, um, one of the big things with this book is I was saying, you know, I think I started in the wrong place, um, and I was, I was moving some things back in time and some things forward in time, actually, to, to kind of, for instance, if you ever read Way of Kings Prime, the prologue to Way of Kings Prime is now the epilogue to the Way of Kings. Yeah, um... The, the the thing that happens in the epilogue with the um, with the thumping on the door and the arrival of of a certain individual is um, is taken now that scene is now from um, Wit's viewpoint which it wasn't before Wit wasn't there before but pull out Wit and that scene almost exactly happens in the prologue so the timing has been changed around a lot uh, and I um, was playing with this book and like I said one of the big things I had a problem with uh, was that I felt that Kaladin had taken the easy route when he needed to take the hard route um, in the book and. And I was really looking for a good plot cycle. Um, I needed something to hold this book together. I had characters, but I didn't have a plot. And I've, I've mentioned um, before that sometimes things come in different um, orders. In this book, world and character came to me. In fact, character came to me first. World came second. And then I was building the plot around it. And I knew the plot of the entire epic and the entire series, but I needed a much stronger plot for book one. And I wanted to, to deal with, because of the various things that are happening, I wanted to deal with the war. So I was planning a war um, out in, you know, away from, um, away from Alethkar, and I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do with this war, and meanwhile I have, um, Ink Thinker, Ben McSweeney, doing concept art for me to use in, um, my pitch to Tom Doherty at Tor, and he says, hey, I just drew up the sketch of some creature that lives at the bottom of a chasm, how do you, what do you think? Um, and he showed me this, essentially this, um, he's like, because I told him, you know, we're, we're looking for kind of above water coral reef formations, and he sends me this brain coral, which is essentially the Shattered Plains, um, with a big monster living at the bottom. And I'm like, wow, you know, I actually did a book where this was essentially the setting. Um, and I looked at that, and that's actually what made me say, wait a minute, could I transpose, and would the Shattered Plains actually make more sense in Roshar than they um, than they ever did in Yolan? And I started playing with that concept, and I, I absolutely fell in love with that idea. Um, and so, and, and that plot cycle, um, unfortunately for Dragonsteel, had been the only really good plot cycle from that book. And so, I ripped it out of that book, and I put it here, um, and that means it brought with it a few side characters who now, um, who, who no longer live in Yolen and now live in Roshar. Rock is one of them. Um, Rock, um, Rock was actually, he's now, he's been changed, um, and so when he came along, the Horn Eaters, um, were born. He, um, they, they had not been in the books until he, um, came here, but he was, um, he was Kachan 
in Dragonsteel, if you ever read that. And so I couldn't bring that culture because that culture is extremely vital to, you know, like I can bring a plot cycle or a little region. Um, there's certain things you can pull out of a book without ruining the soul of what the book is. They're the kind of the trappings, but I couldn't take the Kachan out there. Just part of what that book is. And so Rock had to change nationalities, and so I had to build him as, all, as an, a new culture for him, essentially. Um, and yeah, it um, it worked wonderfully. Um, someday I'll um, let you have that art. Um, if you if you remind me to ask Peter, you can probably post it with the interview, and you can just see it's not the way that it ended up being because it looks different from how the Shattered Plains turned out. But it was the spark that made me say, "Let's move this over." Cool. So basically, Ink Thinker's responsible for the Shattered Plains. Ink Thinker's responsible for them moving to the new book. He is. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What can you tell us about the Knights Radiant? Um. What can I tell you that's not in the books? Yes. I don't know. This is Michelle's question. So. Yes. Okay. There were ten orders of Knights Radiant. Each order of Knights Radiant was based on um, a combination of two of the um, smaller magic systems for this world, so to speak. Um, you, you combine two of them together, and they each had something kind of their own. So if you look at the map in the front of the magic system, and you start making circles that include two of those, larger circles that, or ovals that include two of those circles, with one um, with one of the, the mini circles in between, that's what is the... Oh, wait, no. One big circle and two mini circles. The mini circles are the powers, and the big circles represent the orders and the essences and things like that. So you can actually make... You can find the ten orders just on there by making big looping circles. So one big circle... Two little circles equals an order of Knights Radiant. Please explain the arches and symbols that are seen at the beginning of each chapter and why you decided to do that. Um, the arches and symbols are a s- series of arches and symbols at the beginnings of chapters. <laughs> There's an explanation for you. Um, they rotate and change for every chapter. Um, what they mean is um, should be intuitively obvious to the casual observer, as Robert Jordan used to say. <laughs> um, I decided to use them because I had wanted to have interest things at the chapter and I these were done by um, Isaac and so I originally sat down with Isaac and said I want to have I want to be able to build symbols at the beginning of my chapters rather than something like um, in uh, the Wheel of Time which I really like but I don't want to imitate them I want to go somewhere different and so I want to have different pieces that interlock together that form some stone stonework symbol that's at the beginning of every chapter um, and I told him what I wanted those symbols to mean and things like this and he actually transmogrified that to an archway um, when I had originally been thinking some sort of inscribed rock um, stamp or something, you know, like a, a little relief at the beginning of each chapter is what I had been originally planning. Um, and he, he persuaded me that an archway with a, um, with a different kind of symbol in the center. I'd originally intended those to be stonework in the center of the... So, you know, you'd have something around the sides um, that, that changed and then one stonework thing in the, in the center. And he, he suggested this, so it became arches um, through Isaac's uh, working with the art and changing things and um, deciding what would look good visually. The Way of Kings has a very interesting format. Why did you decide to go with that format, and what prompted you to include the interludes? That's uh, another excellent question. Uh, you guys are really on on the ball. Uh, so, <laughs> what was going on? What through my head is one one worry that we have in epic fantasy is when we the the longer the series goes and the more characters you add, the less time you can spend with each character which uh, gets really frustrating. You either have the George R. R. Martin problem where he writes a book and doesn't include half of them, or you get the middle Wheel of Time problem where he will jump to each character for a brief short time and no one's 
plot seems to get advanced. Um, and so the format, you know, you'll, you'll look, if you look back at um, Elantris, I did a lot of interesting things with form in the novel with that. And I wanted to try something interesting with form for this series that would in some way enhance what Epic Fantasy does well and de-emphasize the problematic um, things of having a long epic. And I thought I, that I could do some new things with the form of the novel that would allow me to approach that. And so what I started to view the book as is one novel, um, one big, one character's novel, and then short novellas from other characters' viewpoints. Um, and then I started adding these interludes because I really like when, for instance, George Martin or some other um, readers, do, uh, authors do this. Um, Tad Williams would do it. You'd jump someplace and see a little character br- for a brief time in a cool little location but the thing is most epic fantasy writers they'll do that and then that character becomes a main character and you're just adding to your list and i wanted to actually do something where i indicated to the reader that most of these are not main characters we're showing the scope of the world without um, being forced to you know to add a new plot line and um why i did that is because i wanted to keep the focus on the main characters and yet i also wanted to you know i want to have my cake and eat it too i wanted to show off the interesting aspects of the world so rather than do my original instinct if when you read way of king's prime someday you'll see that there are six viewpoint characters major viewpoint characters and all in different places with all different plots because I want to show off what's happening in different parts of the world and that spiraled out of control even in that one book keeping track of who they were because there were such large gaps between their plot lines um, was really problematic and so instead I condensed and you know made sure that for instance Kaladin and Dalinar are taking place in the same area with Adolin and so though you have three viewpoints there the, the plot lines are very similar or at least they're interacting with one another um, and so the interludes were ways to jump around the world, and they're essentially short stories set in the world um, during the book. So when you get this book, and, and you, if you haven't read it yet, or if you are reading it, um, maybe think of it that way. Kaladin's novel, with Shallan and Dalinar each having you know shorter novels or novelettes or novellas in, entranced in this. Um, with occasional periodic jumps to short stories around the world. Um, and then, of course, Kaladin's flashbacks. Every character will have a flashback, as we've mentioned mentioned in, in each book, to enhance the main plot line of whoever has the the core number of the, you know, the, whoever's novel it is. Um, and that's just that form, I'm hoping, will do a couple things. It'll show the scope of the world without us getting too overwhelmed by characters we have to keep track of. You know when you hit interludes that most of them you aren't going to have to pay attention to. Um, you can read them, enjoy them, you aren't going to have to remember them. How about that? You can want to pay attention, um, but you don't have to remember them. And then um, when you read the book, by the end, the main characters' arcs and flashbacks should have been resolved, and you should have had a feel of a complete story for that main character. And then we have other characters that are doing things that are essentially just starting plot lights. Um, and so that in the next book, you'll get another character with a big arc and flashbacks. And, you know, the characters that you, from previous ones, will have parts and viewpoints. And, you know, Kaladin will still be important in the next book, but it won't be, quote-unquote, his book. And so he'll get no- novella-length sort of things instead, of course, they're not really novella novella length because it's a 400,000 word book and so those quote unquote novellas are actually like 70,000, 80,000 word novels but will the next Stormlight Archive books have interludes as well? Yes, all of them will have interludes Okay. Um, and you will very occasionally um, revisit people in the inter- interludes and I will usually use, I've decided the interlude I'll let myself have one interlude that's the same e- between each part like we did with Zeth in this book, of a character who's a little bit more of a main major character. So you'll get, like, you know, one four-parter, and then um, you'll get, uh, what, eight 
just random around the world. And they, you may occasionally see those characters again, but you don't have to remember them. They're not going to be integral to understanding the plot. They should add depth, and you, they should be showing you some interesting things that are happening in the world um, while we're focused. You know, I don't do travel logs in my books. My characters are not going sweeping across the, um, the countryside and showing you all the interesting parts of the world. I tend to set my books in a, in a certain place, and if we travel someplace, we skip the travel. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. Yay. Mm-hmm. And so, but that that allows me, that means we just, you know, it, the chances of us actually ever visiting Gavland, um, or Bavland, I think I ended up naming it. Um, What's that? Bavland is the no is the that's that's where Zeth's from. Bavland is where uh, where uh, where Zeth is owned by the miner um, and things like that. I can't remember what I renamed that. I originally called it Gavland, and then we we had a Gavilar and things like that. And so my editor insisted that it be changed. I think it's Bavland now. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, chances of us ever actually visiting there with a major character and a long plot are very low. Um, but, you know, being able to show just a glimpse of Zeth there allows us to give some scope and um, feel to the world. So. Make it epic. Hopefully, yes. yes. Okay, so next question. How is the Way of Kings related to the rest of the Cosmere? Do you, what point in time is it? Oh, that? so far I have um, written the books series chronologically so far um i have skipped books um <laughs> and so there will be jumping back but you can um elantris mistborn um warbreaker and uh, way of kings are, are happening chronologically happen chronologically just in general how is it related to the rest of the cosmere or can you say uh, i i um officially don't know what you're talking about um <laughs> uh, i mean what do you mean by related to i mean yeah <clears throat> What's that? <laughs> just like the letter. Yes, it's like the letter that I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that, that I did... One of the novels I did skip is actually set um, on, in the same solar system. Um, yes. Yes. This is the series that the book shares that I skipped. Um, that I had... I was planning to do first... But now was the time to do the Stormlight Archive. So you will eventually see a book set on a planet in the same solar system um, that would be that you could just pick out in the sky um, of Roshar if you were if you were watching and things like that. When then it may even get mentioned because it's that's a fairly um, close planet, um, obviously. Um, so. Silence Divine. Silence Divine does happen in a on a yeah. Um, I... Should I tell you? Yes. Oh, Peter says no. <laughs> you got pathode. <laughs> well, Go ask Peter and find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peter, it's, it's like, it's P-F-N... Uh, P-N-F-O... P-P-A... Peter and not find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Panfo. Yeah, Panfo. Peter and not find out. Good. Yeah. So once, if that book um, gets written, or if I, I will tell you the name of that planet once it is out, like I've told you the rest of them. Okay, fair enough. Uh, 
uh, do you have a scene that you enjoyed more than the rest? On on the flip side, was there something that you didn't enjoy? Didn't enjoy about this book? Um, I will say I really loved doing all the interludes because they were they gave me a sense when I was writing this book of jumping to something new, which is part of what kept me going in all of this. Um, are they my favorite scenes of the book? No, but they were probably my favorite to write because it's like I get to take a break and write something wacky and loony, so to speak. Um, something very different from what I'd been doing. Um, is there anything that was harder? Um, what was hard? You know, always revisions are hard. Um, in the last, next to last draft, I changed Dalinar's um, arc very substantially, um, and that was that was a hard right um, and you know Adolin was not a, a viewpoint character until that moment um, when I decided I was going to um, add him into the book as a viewpoint character and so there's a hot, lot of hard writing there um, and so poor Adolin probably gets the badge for hardest to write not because he as a character is hard to write but because I was having to repurpose scenes and toss out scenes and rewrite them with Adolin being the viewpoint character and things like this to add um, to add just a little more dimension to to Dalinar's plot arc. You've said it was because of your work on The Wheel of Time that you were able to do this story justice. What did you mean? Um, Wheel of Time forced me to stretch as an author, and it forced me to, really, it was learning to juggle the multiple viewpoints, and learning to juggle, like, I hadn't had a lot of practice writing sequels or planning sequels, and then I had to write the um, 12th book in a 14-book series, which taught me a lot about working with sequels, and also seeing what Robert Jordan did for foreshadowing. Um, when you read early books in The Wheel of Time, um, really taught me a lot about how to foreshadow across a big, long epic. Um, but I would say mostly it's juggling the viewpoints, um, learning how to make sure that where all the characters are making appearances and where you enjoy them all and balanced all without losing track. You hired four artists to contribute to this book mm -hmm. and had their artwork included in the book. Why did you decide to do this? Um, when I say four artists, I am including Michael Whalen, whom I didn't hire that the... the, the um, the, the governing mission. So we really have three interior artists and then um, Michael Whelan doing the beautiful cover. Um, I wanted to, again, I wanted to use the form of this novel to try and enhance what an epic fantasy can do and, you know, downplay the the things that are tough about it. And one of the tough things about an epic fantasy is the learning curve. How much you have to learn and pay attention to it. You know, how, how many things there are just new. And I felt that occasional illustrations could really help with that. Um, could help to, for instance, you know, Shalon's sketchbook or uses of multiple maps could give us a, a visual component to the book that would allow, you know, the pictures are worth a thousand words, and they really are. You can have on that page something that shows a creature much better than I can describe it. Um, and so I felt that that would help de-emphasize the problem of the, of the learning curve, while at the same time, epic fantasy is about immersion, and I wanted to make this world real, and that's one of the great things we can do with epic fantasy, if we have the space and the room to just build a completely real world. Um, and I felt that the art would allow me to do that, um, which is why I decided to do in-world art. I didn't want to, you know, take this toward graphic novel. I like graphic novels, but it wasn't appropriate here to do illustrations of the scenes and characters from the books. Um, because I don't want to tell you what they look like. You know, I want that to be up to your own imagination. And so, um... That, that in-world ephemera feel, um, we, call, we use the word ephemera, you know, some piece of art that you found in-world and included. Uh, and it, it goes back to Tolkien. If you read The Hobbit, there's a map in The Hobbit. And that map isn't just a, a random map, um, which is, a random map has become almost a cliche of a fantasy book, an epic fantasy. Oh, of course, there's a random map in the front. Well, I wanted, you know, his map, it was the actual map the characters carried around. And that's why I included it. He, he, he wrote those books as if he were the archivist putting them together and translating them and bringing them to you. Um, this this 
wonderful story from another world, and he included the map because the map was there with the notes. Um, and that's what I wanted the feel for this ephemera to be is, you know, someone has collected, whoever's been writing the Ars Arcanum for, um, for all of the books, um, collected this book together, did the translation, and included pieces of art and maps and things that they found in world that had been collected during these events. And that's what you're getting. Wonderful. Now we're moving on to some most likely raffle questions. Okay. We should probably go really quick. Okay. Um, uh, now that we've seen Shades Mark, can you elaborate more on it? Perhaps why you wanted a map of it included in the book. Raffo! <laughs> if you put all of the shard plate and all the shard plate together in one place, will you create a Voltron? No. Is cultivation a shard on Roshar? Yes. Cultivation is. Where did you get that word? This is gonna air after the... It's in the book. Is it in the book? Yes, okay. it's mentioned once. It did, okay. No, I no, I just guessed it and figured it out. Okay, that is one of the shards um, from Roshara's cultivation. What is the name of the shard which is the Almighty? Uh, Rafa! In the Cosmere, what percentage of, like, the underlying Cosmere have we uncovered? Like, 5%, 15%? Like, the number the, of the planets? No, or of, not even that. Like, how much do we know about the underlying metaphysics of the rules? Because um, you said that there's a lot more that we don't know. There's about. a lot you don't know. Um, if you could put a number on it. If you I don't know if I can put a number on it. If you've read, um, really read Dragonsteel, you have a lot more. Um, because there's some talk of philosophy in that book about it. Um... But I, I, I can't give a percentage because I know it all, <laughs> and I can't remember at times, you know, I have, often have to go back and research and say, okay, what did I put in, what haven't I included, and, um, and that sort of thing. Um, I would say that um, y- you, know, you know enough to be dangerous, but not the majority by far. Um, you know, there, the, the thing, there, there is an underlying theorem of magic for all of these worlds, which I don't think has been mentioned, but... Um, no. But yeah, it's it's kind of one of the things that, that made me is you know you, people keep trying to look for a unifying theory of um, of physics you know the great unifying if you know anything about math or science in my background I have a little science background and I wanted there to be a unifying theory of magic which um, there is at least for me in these books that there's a unifying it's not simple it's not like one sentence but there is a you could you can map out how the magic all fits together in this kind of super theorem. If a mistborn burns Lorasium, as in not ingests it, what effect would it grant alimentically? Um, that is a Rafo. It, it would do something, um, but the thing you've got to remember, um, when um, ingesting Lerasium and, and gaining the powers, you, your body is, is actually burning them. Um, like, can you think of a, a Lerasium as a metal anyone can burn. Does that make sense? It does. And, when, and, and by burning it, you gain access to those powers. It rewrites your spiritual DNA. Um, and so, a mistborn burning it um, would... Um, I mean, there, there are ways to do really cool things with Erosium, but I don't see how anyone would know. Most mistborn who just burned it, it would rewrite their genetic code to increase their power as, um, as an Alamancer, um, to magnify them, to essentially, you know, add their, their power as an Alamancer to whatever they already had. Joe from the UK asked a terrifying question. 
If an Alamancer is turned into a Coloss, would they keep their powers? If an Alamancer is turned into a Coloss, you know... I'm scared. Okay. Yeah, no, that's actually something I've thought about. Um, an Alamancer turned into a Coloss would keep their powers, because if you'll notice that a Hemallurgist turned in, uh, an Alamancer turned into a, um, a, um, an Inquisitor retains their powers. Whether they would be able to always know how to use them and things... It left to be seen, but you could definitely have a Coloss Alamancer if you um, if you you built them right. Are all Inquisitors required to have an Atium spike? No, um, they are not. Okay. Which metal steals the power of ferrochemic gold? The Hero of Ages epigraphs say it was pewter, but it can't be pewter since pewter steals ferrochemic physical powers. Right. There's probably a typo. I um, I will have to go back to the notes. That's more of a PAFO. Um, because... A, a PAFO and actually find out? Or a PAFO yeah, no, no, PAFO and find out. Okay. Um, are there a limited amount of Atium and Loracium alloys for each metal? Um, yes, I suppose there would be, but there are... More than 16? Yeah, way more than 16. Oh, wow. Okay. That's fascinating, because... 16 and less than infinite. Yes. Okay. Jordan asks, if one were to become an Atium Savant, could they see further into the future than normal? Yes. Jordan also asks, are there forms of birth control on Scadrial? Yes. Questions, so there are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Witness Vin and Ellen not getting pregnant right. <laughs> um, across several years. Okay, yes. Um, it's just not really mentioned in the mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I stay away from that intentionally. Um, just that book, the feel of it. Um, there are a lot of things I just didn't I just didn't discuss. Um, and yeah, cool. Very careful. Our peers have counted the numbers of inquisitors appearing in the novels, and they claim there must have been twenty five if Vin and Ellen killed two inquisitors in between Mistborn two and Mistborn three. Could you clarify the numbers of inquisitors there were? Um. They literally count. They literally. No, I mean, I've I've got it written down somewhere. I'm now so separated from this um, from yeah. this book. Um, it, I I had always imagined there being around three dozen inquisitors at any given time. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. quite a bit more than twenty. Right. Well, the thing you've got to remember is that um, is that um, with the powers they're given, they um, they're pretty much immune. Some a lot of them to disease and and things like that. Um, Particularly after they've gained, you know, their healing spike. Right. Um, does and that come to all Inquisitors? What's that? It does not come to all. Um, it, it comes to almost all. That's a pretty common one. But Inquisitor, being Inquisitor, does not mean you get... Sir, I, I think it mentions in the books there's one spike that they all get. And I can't remember what it is. I would imagine um, that that would... That, that's that's high in... Because, like, is, there would be... Well, okay. Steel yeah. spikes so they can right. see. Right. That would yeah. Obviously. Obvious. Um, but the thing is, you've got to have a keeper to be able to do exactly. that. And, um, you know, there are times throughout history, you know, the ones alive now pretty much all had healing spikes. But there are times throughout history when he needed a new Inquisitor and he didn't have a keeper handy, a, 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 a ferrochemist. He could make one without that. So That is not what's keeping them alive from the spikes being driven through their bodies. So the linchpin spike is not always the same uh type of spike the, the, the same thing or is the, it, it doesn't have to be okay. um, the linchpin spike is just when you're putting that many spikes together into somebody mm -hmm. that needs a spike to coordinate them all um, and that spike you know that's that's that is part of what's holding their body together from all of this damage and it doesn't have to be the healing spike um, okay. the, the the nature of ferrochemy is separate mm -hmm. from that 
um, if, if that makes any sense. For instance, I mean, you could put a few spikes into an Inquisitor without a linchpin spike, and they wouldn't die. Can you burn the spikes? Could like, they... Um, like, alimentically, could they burn the steel in their steel head? I considered that, and I eventually decided um, that... Um, they could, but it would be an excruciating process um, that would probably knock them unconscious simply by doing it. Would they be able to tap? Would, would they, they tap them? Stores? They can use them as metal mines, okay. yes. Sorry, those, that was a huge tangent. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, no, that's good. You, you probably need to know that for role-playing. They can yeah, use them as metal mines. I was trying to write hemallergy articles on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're assuming that gold steals ferrochemic gold just so we can use that as a gold mine. Right, but right. We, we don't know. That's why I asked. So um, that's a pafo for yeah, sure. He he said uh, he'll get back to us because mm -hmm. he doesn't know. Um, yeah. Tucker asks, "Will you ever write a book slash series where different magic systems come into the same world? Where different magic systems come into the same world? Um, I have already published novels. Yes. I mean, like different magic systems from different worlds. That's what I said." <laughs> Okay, okay, sorry. Um, You're asking if I'll do it, obviously, <laughs> where that's the, um, the, the focus of the novel, and someday I might. Um, right now, in the back of my head, I've, I mean, um, if I do it, I'm, I'm not sure. So here's the thing. I like all of this stuff to be behind the scenes. Exactly. I don't want any reader to rock up on the shelf and pull it out and feel like they are completely lost because they have to read 27 Sanderson novels before this one makes sense. Yeah. And so that would be my hesitance in ever doing that. Okay. Um, but... Um, but I already have in very subtle ways. Um, and if I were going to do a Conflux book, um, then of all, you know, things coming together, um, I might just do it as an internet, you know, post on my website. I don't know. I'm not sure. It depends on how popular things are and whatnot. I mean, it, it, I don't, I don't think, I don't want to do that to my casual readers. Right. Um, they, they wouldn't have any of the background. Right. They wouldn't have any of the background. But, um, yeah. thing is, some of the magic systems do cross worlds and have before. Um, and that not obviously has happened. Um, you, you haven't seen it, but I mean, um, you know, right now, Liar uh, of Partnell and um, the Stormlight Archive share a magic system because with the unifying theory of magic, there's a certain number of things that magic can do. There's a lot of different ones, but they, when they, they get similar, they tend to work in the same way. Um, and so light weaving shows up in both books. Um, and I may change that from Liar of Partnell, but it's kind of integral to that book and it's kind of integral to um, Stormlight Archive right now. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons why I either kind of had to decide to do Dragonsteel as, as the big epic or, um, or Stormlight Archive as the big epic. And um, some of the magic systems have been discovered in different on different planets, um, and some of them do work. A lot of them don't, but some of them do. It depends on your spiritual DNA and what, what people are able to do and things like that. But, you know, if you find a way to do illusion magic in one of my worlds, it's going to work pretty much like light weaving, regardless of which planet you're on, if that makes sense. Can you elaborate more on cadmium and Vendeloy's effects? Um, like, if you're speeding up time, are you speeding up time for you in the bubble? Or? Anything in the bubble. Okay. You create a space around you of sped up time, of sped up space time, and anything gets in there. Like, let's say that I shot a bullet at you, and you popped it with slow time. That bullet 
would move really slowly too. Everything around you would, um, you know, you but would you would be the same. So when the bullet entered, it would go the same speed that you are going. But once it's out, when it's outside, it's either faster or slower. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. It does. And same with Bendelite. Same with it just reversed. Yeah. And so whichever you know, whichever one you're doing, so it can it can have some really powerful effects. But the problem is you can't change anything because as soon as you get close enough to change it, it's in there with you. So it's not like I mean. So if you were using it the right way, you could dodge bullets if you were able to speed up time around you as long as the bullet you were able to get it off before the bullet got too close to you yeah that would that would be the trick right um and you know you could if you you're the one that can slow time you can get someone in your bubble and slow time you can let everyone else move more quickly around you which of course takes a lot more practice to use you've got to have a buddy buddy who's outside the bubble but you know you can stop i can stop you and you know we would see time move the same but everything around us would go super fast if people were ready for that, they could make use of it. That has a lot of uses yeah. in the next series. So, okay, well, I think that wraps everything up. Uh, okay. That's all the ones that we have written down. That we have. Yeah. Thank you so much.